and welcome to Why Make, where we talk with makers from different disciplines about what inspires them to make, with your hosts, Rob Helmkamp and Eric Wolken. If you'd like to learn more about the makers we interview on Why Make, please go to our website, why-make.com. And please help support the Why Make podcast on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash podcast or the Patreon link on our website. On this episode of Why Make, we have Asheville area maker Valerie Burlage, a mixed media assemblage master, who also shares our history of having attended the Haywood Community College program in fine woodworking. We're a big fan of her work here at Why Make, and I love the color and texture in her furniture and have even traded a few pieces with it. Now here's our conversation with Valerie Burlage. Uh, here we are uh, in our, our virtual studio. This is the first time we've actually tried using a virtual program. And we are not live in Valerie Burlidge's studio, but I'd like to welcome Valerie Burlidge to Why Make, the big Why Make howdy. And uh, here we go. Thank, thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm really excited to be here. And um, <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, cool. Well, Welcome to Why Make. This is obviously Eric didn't introduce himself, but it's Eric Wolken and I'm Rob Helmkamp. And we're going to jump right into it and ask the uh, the Why Make question. Um, Valerie, what's your, your first memory of making something? And then along with that, or when did you realize you wanted to become a maker? You could kind of answer either or both or however you feel like going into that. Okay. Well, I don't remember a time not making so um, I, I can't really remember a first thing I made, but, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a family that was constantly creating. Uh, my grandmother's, um, my maternal grandmother was a culture and a painter, and she taught us, you know, traditional Southern handcrafts like embroidery and crochet, although the crochet did not really stick with me. <laughs> Um, my other grandmother, uh, we painted and colored her husband, my grandfather, uh, is a woodworker. And so we would paint whatever he made in his shop. And, um, my mom, she's, uh, she's a really great seamstress. So, uh, she was, you were surrounded you know, by that. I was surrounded. She was sewing her clothes. We always made our Halloween costumes. Um, yeah. So constantly making. That was a lot of my childhood too. Having Halloween costumes were made by mom, and we got to sit at the sewing machine with her while she was doing it. So yeah, yeah, I, re I remember the owl costume my mom made me out of a paper bag, and uh, and various sewed things. And and my mom was a fiber artist too. Um, so I mean, I grew up around making as well. Um, did you ever think of making being a professional pursuit though? Did you did you know that you were going to become a maker? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> there, there was That's nothing cool. else. I like that. <laughs> I, I never wanted to do anything else. Um, I, I did want to teach as well, and I wound up getting a teaching license, which is sitting dusty downstairs in my basement. <laughs> so let's back up a little bit. So you, you've always known you're going to do that. So then, mm -hmm. let's start when you know maybe you were making something that kind of led into what you're doing today. Um, I, I know that in part of your bio, you had mentioned that you kind of went through a couple different phases to get to, to what you're making now. 
So maybe, you know, kind of talk about your history as a maker. I, I started out um, when I, I went to UNCA and I went through the uh, fine arts program and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at first. And then I discovered printmaking and um, just, <laughs> it might sound dumb, but the smell of the ink and um, the cleaning solvents. Like, like, the, like oil inks and the cleaning yeah, solvents with those like, for printmaking? Yes. Ah. I just, I lo <laughs> love that smell. And um, that was part of That's right. great. That's great. What kind of There's, prints were you making? Like leno cuts or just any anything within the, the auspices of printmaking? I, I made uh, monoprints and collagraphs. So it was more of okay. an additive uh, process uh, in oh, printmaking. That's, that's great. And um, then I, I uh, did um, like collage, mm -hmm. assemblage, if you want to get fancy. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. All that, all that stuff is wonderful. Yeah. All that lodge. Um, all all yeah. the lodge, all the technical speak. <laughs> all the lodge. Uh, I had a great uh, mentor there, uh, Robert Dunning, who was really encouraging. And, and uh, so I, I did these collages um, just like printing and then, you know, tearing up everything. And then I did a lot of sewing things back together and oh, sanding great. down through the layers. Um, and then I, I also made some boxes then too, where uh, things were layered on glass. So you would get like a dimensional effect. And um, that sounds beautiful. I, you know, I don't have pictures of anything. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, it's another life. Huh? My, my BFA show, you know, I worked so hard on it and, um, I don't have a single picture of anything I oh, made. No. I think I was so, so exhausted. Like it didn't even cross my mind that I should document, uh, that. So, um, unfortunately, I guess I could track some people down that still have some. My grandparents <laughs> definitely still have some of my work in their house. So. I mean, I think that was actually not documenting work was sort of a thing early on. I think a lot of our careers, just because we, we were so tied up in being makers that the documenting wasn't important. Well, it was, quite, it quite was a process back yeah, then too, much was, more of one. Well, yeah, certainly it like involved like cameras and slides set, and, slides. <laughs> slides oh and gosh, setups yeah. and getting stuff developed. It was just a lot, a lot more involved. So what were your early inspirations? Where, where did this early assemblage? What was it? What did you think? What, what was driving that? Was well, you it... talked about your teacher and obviously he probably pushed some makers on you. I, I don't know. I, you know, he, he, Robert was a, a great inspiration. His work is amazing. So I, you know, I was definitely inspired by Louise Nevelson and Helen Frankenthaler and, uh, uh, like some of the, great pop artists like of course Andy Warhol and um Klaus Oldenburg and mm -hmm. uh I, I had a lot of influences back back then I still do um but uh well absorbing so much while you're learning yeah it it, it was uh incredible so when so you got your you got your bachelor's in fine arts and then you went and got a teaching certificate I did because I I thought I'll never be able to make a living at this, <laughs> and. Um, but you were teaching art, right? You were teaching art in what grade level? I 
I got my license in K through 12 art, so I could have taught everything. Yeah. Um, and at, at the time I got it, they were like, you know, the program was touting, oh, North Carolina's going to need like 10,000 teachers in the next so many years. And then um, they failed to say <laughs> that didn't include so many art teachers. <laughs> right. uh, 20 so, art teachers. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was a tough market. Like, you know, you'd go to uh, these job fairs and be standing in line next to somebody who's moved down from Michigan or wherever who's retired from up there. They have like 25 years experience and a master's degree and they're moving down here, but they've, you know, to retire, but they, they've decided they they don't want to retire. They, (laughs) they want to teach some more and, um, you, you know, starting out, it's hard to compete. (laughs) Yes. Um, so I, I never did, never did get a teaching job. Well, well, you it tried. just it, it just yes, it just pushed your career that much further. I mean, in the sense that you realized that being a studio artist was what was next. Is that correct, or did, did you... it push your creative buttons, or was it was it really discouraging? Um, I think as artists, you have to have tough skins. Like, <laughs> we try to. <laughs> I mean, we are told no so many times, like. Um, you know, it, it probably didn't hurt as much as it would some other people. Um, but we are a resilient, uh, lot us artists. Um, but you know, it is a little disheartening sometimes to think about, you know, I applied to all these jobs and nobody, <laughs> nobody have been, should have been, but yeah. now I'm here. Yeah. I... Um, but you know, one of the reasons I entered the Haywood program was because I need to get teaching credits or credits to renew my teaching license because I still had hope, oh, maybe one day I'll use this thing. Did you finish the whole Haywood program? Some of us in this in this room didn't. Okay, I, I get that inference, Rob. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. <laughs> sorry, I, I, gotta, I gotta get you a little bit, Eric. Um, I know. But you, you went... In what 2008 and 2009 or i'm maybe off totally on the years well i i went through the program twice oh you did (laughs) yeah that's cool well i i guess i didn't go through it twice but i it took me um two times to get to get through it i should say Mm -hmm. i applied to get in in like 2009 and um there wasn't there was a waiting list of course so Wayne Rabb was like, oh, take these, you know, take the design and the history classes while you're waiting to get into the actual wood, you know, the wood program. And so I did that. And then the next year I got in and that was Brian's first year teaching. Oh, right. So you got both teachers. Yeah. Okay. So and actually, just to, just to fill in a little bit here, Brian would be Brian Worst. Yes, Brian Worst. I'm sorry. And uh, well, no, that's all right. I mean, we, we get guilty of too much inside baseball sometimes. And also, <laughs> Brian was like podcast number two or three. Yeah. So you can and then you can... Wayne Rab Wayne Rab was the 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 original professional crafts woodworking instructor. And he was yeah. another one of our episodes, the three or four, maybe. Right? Yeah, there was and, all and um, in... and Wayne is who both Eric and I took classes under as well. Right. Yeah. Wayne Rab. 
Yeah. So I'll name drop again. I was a first year student with Melissa Engler, oh, who was also on cool. your podcast. <laughs> Uh, but at the end of the year, I I wasn't able to get financial aid. I don't know if they had if they changed the rules because uh, when I went, I had to leave the program because I just couldn't afford to mm-hmm. afford. I and I couldn't. It was too hard to work and then try and yeah drive all the way out to you know Clyde every day to work in the shop. So I left the program and then um, when I went back in 2013. I was able to get financial aid. So I, I finished up the program the next year in right. 2014. So the, so the initial drive to go to Haywood really was getting just continuing credits for your teaching certification. It wasn't a, a love of wood or the smell of, uh, <laughs> actually, you know, interesting. You said printing inks. I think printing inks smell a lot like linseed oil and, yeah, uh, and finishing oil. <laughs> those are, those are my first memories of being in a wood shop, that incredible smell of like polyurethane. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes me nauseous now, but <laughs> yeah, well, you know, teaching credits was part of it, but I, I worked for a, uh, woodworker, um, I guess I worked for him on and off for a decade. He kind of reawakened that love of wood. Who I was, was doing a, a Chris Cam. He's a box maker here in Asheville. Oh, cool. Okay. I'm not yeah. familiar with his work. I'll have to look him up. Cool. So He's... you worked for him for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, is friends with Robert Dunning, who is my mentor at UNCA. And so that's how I kind of got the job. Because I had been making frames and stuff at UNCA too for my work, so um, it kind of just transitioned into helping him out in his uh, studio. Yeah, it, the smell of wood and finishing is um, is very appealing to me too. Like you said, that linseed oil, that smell, and uh, so you know when I was looking for ways to get credits, I was like, I don't want to. I want to just take some more design classes or some drawing classes or whatever. I wanted to do something that was, you know, going to be really exciting and, mm-hmm. and um, where I could actually learn some more. Well, you got to take design with Bob Gibson too. I did. Oh my Yay. gosh. Bob was oh, Bob there. was still there. Yeah. Oh, oh, Bob's my favorite. Oh, we, we actually have to do a podcast with Bob. Um, yeah. I love Bob. A very good friend of mine. Um, just took the job that Bob left to being a design teacher. And I suggested that he go have lunch with Bob to figure out what he needed to do. And he did. Yeah. And I was, I was, I'm just so happy. Every time I talk with, about Bob, it makes me smile. He's he a great teacher. Yeah. Actually, the, the first piece I ever sold was to Bob, a mirror. Oh, wow. I made that. Although, I mean, Arguably, I think uh, most of my student work under Wayne was so driven by Wayne. It was that piece was probably more Wayne than it was me, in many ways. But uh, in terms of exploring woodworking, that had to have been your first really jumping into functional objects. Yeah. Interesting. The interesting dichotomy for me is is that I started with functional objects before I started really thinking about making art and sculpture, and I hung on to the notion of functional objects. Almost, I mean, I until I, almost, recently, <laughs> until recently, it was really hard to let go of. I'm still trying to let go. 
And so I'm just wondering about coming at it from the other perspective of making largely coming from the fine art world into the functional art world. What was that transition like? And what are your thoughts about that to, to, to now? Well, I, I think uh, function always follows form in my work, not the other way around. So, uh, you know, all the other guys in the shop would be like, you know, here's a chair and, you know, they, they tackle it as a, a chair first and then think about, you know, maybe the aesthetics. And whereas I, <laughs> I was kind of the opposite, I wanted to make it pretty. Uh, it doesn't matter if it, you know, if it's comfortable to sit in, that was kind right. of, <laughs> you know, secondary to me, which is probably why I, I still have the, have the chair I made at Haywood in the basement. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so you were, you were, yeah, you were more, more concerned with the color and the appearance of everything than. Yeah. Although I would say chair makers are a unique uh, subset of woodworkers in and of themselves. I mean, because a chair is not an object I tackled. Well, as Rob stated, I didn't finish. <laughs> I didn't finish, so I never got to the chair part. But <laughs> I did, and I'm I'm confused still on chairs. I make meditation chairs, and I wouldn't call those chairs. Right. <laughs> that's I, and that's all I've made. I've trashed all the regular ones. But I mean, the, the the beauty of a lot of objects in woodworking, tables and chests of drawers and everything, is you can interpret the function almost as anything as you want, and that's that's what I learned in, in terms of two or three legs and a flat top, you have a table, everything else, you can pretty much go anywhere you want. Yeah. So, but it does have to have a flat top. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Only if you want to sit stuff on it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, it could be curved or dipped or carved or with a little teeny pad on it for a cup, you know, it could be whatever you want. Well, that's true. But, uh, <laughs> So did you, so obviously the, a thread running through a lot of your, your work is, is your technique of assembling things. And, and, it's, and has that been a through line, would you say, through a lot of your, your creative endeavors is, is, is assembling objects? Um, I, I think so. Because it, you know, a lot of, most of my work is influenced by uh, growing up my childhood and those strong influences I had with Southern handcrafts and folk art. So when you see those piece surfaces in my work, it, it's like quilting with wood is what I mm -hmm. liken it to. Um, and you know, that's when I was doing collage work, that's, I was actually, you know, cutting things up and sewing them back together. Um, so there's a strong, that is a strong uh, thread that runs through my work for sure. A lot of your work is so, so fine and detailed, all these little shapes and everything. It's just, yeah, it seems like you, you put a lot of, a lot of thought into every which way. I mean, is that, is there a lot of thought involved or is it just a lot of stream of consciousness? It's just like, oh, this works and this works and this works and this works. It's, um, it's kind of a lot of winging it. That... <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not much of a planner outer, um, I have a sketchbook and I, I tend not to use it unless it's something Guilty that I had. <laughs> yeah. Like unless it is something that I have to plan out. Like um, I did a commission for a custom house box last year. And that was something that I unfortunately had to like detail draw out. 
uh, so I could figure it out and oh, make and these present people it happy. to the client. Yeah. Like, this is what it might look like, yeah. or what it's going to look like. Yeah. And is that, is, is, I mean, I'm just curious because, you know, you come from a fine art background and Rob and I are both, you know, wood hacks and that all, I mean, our drawing skills are limited. Let's put it that way. I'm yeah. assuming having been through a BFA that you've had some fairly advanced uh, drawing skills and you, but you just choose not to use them because you like a more, you like a more spontaneous way of working. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, I ha I have an idea in my head and oftentimes I'll, I'll sketch out like a basic shape, mm -hmm. but that's usually about as far as it gets. Um, it just, it's, it's pretty organic. Yeah. Um, that's cool. It's more of a confidence in like the fact that you know how to put this stuff together. That's a very nice way of putting it. Thanks, Rob. Well, I remember when I was at Haywood learning about different woodworkers and somehow or another, I figured out by reading some of his books and articles that Gary Knox Bennett didn't really do any like real plans. He'd just do a sketch and then just go with it. And I was like, how can you make a 12 foot long trestle table and all this stuff without planning it out? But he didn't. He just, he just did it. It's like, that's awesome. That's real confidence in the, the skill that he has to, to, to do stuff or that anybody would have to do stuff to do it that way. Yeah. And I've always kind of revered that method of making instead of just like, okay, I know I have to go from A to Z and this is the way I have to do it. And it's like, to me, that's like the easy way out. Well, I mean, I, I think there's also the whole sort of the fear of consequences. Of, right. Of, that's, of, that's another one. Fear is a four-letter word I want to stay away from. But Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, but I think freeing yourself of the whole thing, well, what if I screw it up? I mean, what if I take a $300 chunk of wood and turn it into a piece of firewood? An unfortunate part of woodworking, I think, is that whole perfection thing. I mean, I have this really expensive piece of wood and it has to be perfect. And I think possibly coming from a fine art background, you've let go of all that. Valerie, do you get three quarters of the way through something and you're like, ah, I just don't like the way that's going and start taking stuff back out and doing it over? Or do you just run with it and you're like, oh, I don't like this piece. We'll send it to the, 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 the fire pile or I don't know how you do it. I, um, I have like a, um, a graveyard in my, in my basement <laughs> of, of work that I, I didn't like how it turned out or, um, or for whatever reason, it's just sitting there and I keep thinking, you know, one day I'm going to get around to like either just burning all this stuff <laughs> or, um, cutting it up and turning it into something else. Yeah. It's usually about 20% into a piece where I'm like, I could do, I could do this so much better. Like, why am I doing this? I need What's to change the, into? yeah. And then I forced myself to go on and finish it. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. That, that was, actually was my next question. I mean, it, so you get into a piece, see that it's not working, but you feel compelled to finish it? Well, you know, changing it as much as I can along the way, like, that, <laughs> <laughs> to fix it. And, you so know, you are it, a perfectionist deep down. <laughs> you know, don't tell, don't tell anybody. Although anyone who knows me knows, yeah. Right. And this is a podcast we're putting on the internet so people will know. Sorry. Yeah, nobody listens. <laughs> I mean, our, our, our three listeners won't know. So how do you how do you approach color? That's that's another really daunting 
topic for us woodworkers who don't have fine art backgrounds because I love color, but I find it, I find it scary. Kind of I, intimidating. I, I do too. It is actually a lot of my latest pieces are collaborations with a painter because uh, I just don't know how to approach it. I know what I, I know what I see in my mind's eye, but I have no idea how to get there. Well, I, I think uh, that comes from my childhood too, because, you know, uh, when I was spending all this time with my, my grandmother, we did a lot of coloring and um, she would always say, you know, you have to use all the colors in the box because, you know, you have this tendency to just use like just a couple because mm -hmm. you're familiar with those, you're comfortable with those, but she would really push me to use all of the colors. And so I, I don't. I don't really have a fear of, of color anymore. I like them all. And I, I say I never met a color I, I didn't like, but I think somebody else famous said that first. <laughs> I can't remember who it is right off, right off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I, I like all the colors. A lot of your work, especially some of the mirrors, seems like a real, a comfortable mix of a lot of colors. And it's like, it's not like this is just like, oh, this is a blue mirror and 30 shades of blue. It yeah. seems like you really do have a lot of colors in each piece. <laughs> I do. I, I like, sometimes I really try to just do a certain scheme. Like, like I'll, I, I think I do have one mirror that's all in shades of monochromatic. It's all in shades of blue. Um, or I'll try and make a piece that is more like, uh, like maybe just a complementary color scheme, like red and green or, yellow and blue and it's like they're those other colors they're sneaky man they just like <laughs> worm their way into they just find their way into everything I right just... and, and 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 you don't have a, a plan for the colors which works perfect or do you have a plan for the colors i i usually have a plan that goes by the wayside pretty quickly uh and it, it's um there's so many layers uh, of paint on everything that it's fairly easy to change my mind because I'll, I'll see how some colors work with another. And I think, Ooh, there should be more of that in this piece. And so things will shift. Do you sketch in color? I don't. Okay. Neither, neither do I. That's, that's interesting. So you kind of, you'll have an idea and then the colors come after Yeah. the idea for the shape, I guess. Yeah. And, and obviously the other, another strong element along with the assemblage technique is your use of texture as well. How do you think of texture? How do you use that? And as a, as a, as an element with the color and the assembling to, to make your, make your pieces work? I, or how do you think about it? I, um, I don't know. I, I love texture. I'm one of those people that if I go into the store, I like to touch everything. Um, and wood is a really tactile medium, even though I paint most of mine. <laughs> um, so it, you know, it's just a, another way to, to add interest in a piece. And it, it makes me happy, I guess, at the end of the day, like all my painted services, um, I use a, I'll, I'll, um, vary my brush strokes. So they wind up being like a crosshatch pattern. So I'll, I'll brush everything like horizontal. And then after that dries, I'll paint another coat and do everything vertical, brush strokes. 
And so then when you sand through that, you, you get this nice crosshatch effect and that little bit of texture. I am, I'm one of those people that loves the brush strokes. Like I don't mm -hmm. want anything smooth and, um, a lot of it looks like and, a thick linen or a thick cotton. Yeah. Kind of like a, yeah, it just like looks a fabric. Like, yeah. It looks like fabric. Yeah. That's, that's actually really interesting. Cause I've, I, you know, I usually use those foam brushes and, uh, I, I want no texture. I just want yeah. color, but it's, uh, it's interesting to think of that, that brush again, that's a painter's approach. It's a painter's approach, <laughs> but which no, is, is, is a cool thing. So, I mean, you, some of the textures you get, it almost seems like you could use like a, uh, like some of the, the, the stock kind of cheaper brushes or even like a toothbrush to get some of the texture and everything probably doing all sorts of different ways to apply it. You could for sure. And I, I would probably use the cheaper brushes if they didn't shed so much. Oh, right, right, <laughs> right. The yeah. bristles tend to come out. Yeah. Um, okay. So you like your brushes there. It's out. It's. <laughs> I do. I'm, you know, I'm not a complete brush snob, but you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, no brand names, please. No. <laughs> yeah. We're not, <laughs> we're not sponsored yet. No, I'm yeah. just, Oh, that's an idea, though. That could be. A... <laughs> yeah, my, my dream is to get sponsored by Liquitex. That's, there you go. That's the, that's the paint I use. Actually, I remember the, f the funnest I ever had with color was uh, one of the Furniture Society conferences. And uh, Golden was there and they gave out tons of free samples. Oh, wow. And it was like, oh, wow, this is the way to have paint. <laughs> Thousands yeah. of little free samples. For but, sure. Uh, I'm curious about your movement into jewelry because I find jewelry a really interesting pursuit just because to me it's like almost the the perfect combination of function and and fine art because its main function is adornment which is a fairly easy function to meet. <laughs> it's a popular one. And but it, it gives you carte blanche to go almost anywhere in a sculptural sense. I mean, so what, what, what were your thoughts in moving into jewelry or have you always done jewelry? No, there, there were several thoughts. One was I have all these scraps and I want to nice. use them. Like yeah. I, if you could, if we were in my shop and you could see my hoard of scraps, you might be a little terrified. Uh, but I, I hate throwing anything away, um, and I probably should not not feel that way. Maybe I need counseling on that aspect. No, let me know but, who your counselor is because I have the same problem. I just I've got, have. I've got piles of scraps everywhere. Yeah, I I have so many. I you know I could work for like a thousand lifetimes at this point and not use them all uh, because I use you know down to like a quarter of an inch. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these things are, are pretty tiny, but so I didn't, I didn't want to get rid of anything. I, I hated the thought of it just being chucked in the, in the fireplace. Although I, you know, that's perfectly acceptable use of scraps and many, <laughs> many artists use Much it. Much to your chagrin. Um, uh, yeah. And also, you know, I wanted to diversify my product line. Jewelry is something that people will always buy just from a realistic standpoint, you know, like trying to find something that people will buy. Women will buy jewelry. Um, also, there, it's 
it's really fun. And it's, you know, it's more immediate than a big piece. So I, I think of each little earring I make as like a little, as a little sculpture. Um, I really loved uh, Alexander Calder. And mm-hmm. so yeah. <laughs> I like to think of these. Oh, Eric's got some know, stories about him. Earrings is like little mini mobiles sometimes just hanging. You've been making ears. you've been making robots recently. Like I have been making those robots. are great. Your little robot earrings. Those are those are so cool. Talk about why what made you want to make robots? Just I I don't you know, just because I have so many pieces and so many shapes, just thinking about sometimes, you know, if you say it's just you know, like a little abstract brooch or whatever. It's just, you know, it is what it is. But sometimes people, they want it to look like something. And um, I had all these pieces. And I was like, these really look like robots. So it was, <laughs> it was just kind of a happy accident. It wasn't something That's I really planned on. Um, although I, I do follow Matt Kinney on Instagram. So maybe subconsciously I was like channeling some of his robot action there. Matt Kinney. Oh, I'll have mm-hmm. to check him out. I think wasn't there something in American Craft on him? Is that there's somebody who does little robots that they talked about? There was an article on in American Craft and the last couple issues. I'm not sure. He he put out a box a box a book last year called Fifty Two Boxes and Fifty Two oh, Weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, really nice, really contemporary, simple but yeah. beautifully complex boxes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, really nice stuff. Oh, I'll, I'll have to check that out. So so you did mention your studio a little bit, and I mean, one of the things we're trying to do uh, in, in this new season of Why Make is have people talk about their spaces and how they work in their spaces. So can you, can you take us for a little tour? Yeah, take us for a tour through your- A virtual, a visual tour of- Of, of your scrap mind. box. Um, I, I have, uh, boxes and boxes of scraps that I've got to find some uh, some more shelving for because currently they're like just you can't all build shelving with scraps. <laughs> no, unfortunately, Un- unfortunately not. But I, you know, the word got out uh, last year that I, you know, I like to repurpose scraps, and so I had, you know, all these people. <laughs> calling me up and saying hey I've got all these scraps do you want them and I'm like of course I do but I don't have room for them but I took them anyway <laughs> so um so I have I have piles of scraps I've got uh I have three large tools I've got my saw my table saw I've got a bandsaw and I've got my edge sander and those are like my three big machines I um a lot of time at my edge sander (laughs) (laughs) sanding um i do not have a joiner or planer uh i have a i my shop is in you know one half of a two-car garage so i have a one one car garage space and um i have too many scraps for a joiner planer (laughs) uh and most of my my sub substructures are made of plywood so when i need that if I need a joiner or anything, I will call up a friend uh, out in Big Sandy Mush and go out to his shop, and he he planes everything down <laughs> for me. So, 
That's what friends. That's what friends are for. That's right. I mean, is there a car on the other side of the garage that? Can't there just... is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought that was just where all the scraps were. Right. No. Yeah, there, there unfortunately is a car on the other side of the garage. A very dusty car, but a car nonetheless. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> well, you could just yeah. you could start storing all your scraps in the car. Oh, I could. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the perfect use of a car. Seat? The, oh, they're just boxes of scraps. That's all. Just <laughs> my nephew would probably love riding on the hood, you know, going down the road because there's no room in the back seat. Um, yeah. yeah, so I have three big machines, and I've got um, I've got two work tables. <laughs> One is covered by scraps. That's <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Um, the other has. Um, uh, like a benchtop routing table on part of it that I move when I need more space. So uh, space is always an issue. And I, I do try and be fairly tidy as much as I can because of the <laughs> limited space. And, you know, you can't turn around if you've got 500 things everywhere. So so uh, following up on that, so what does your what's your daily practice look like? Do you are you get up at the crack of, oh, you were going Before to we go into that, that's only half your studio though. That is. What about the finishing side? <laughs> so the finishing side, I've got part of a basement <clears throat> with a, a, several tables, a couple for painting and then one uh, I use for making jewelry. So it's the cleanest, not the tidiest, <laughs> but it is the cleanest. Yeah, so, uh, it is a functional studio, but it is in the basement. So there is, I don't know if you want to describe everything else that's in there. A few bicycles and a freezer and Christmas enough, decorations. And enough to make else. enough to make you look human. Well, yes. I mean, we all we all adapt to the spaces we have. I don't have a separate finishing space. It's yeah. called outside. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. <laughs> well, and I mean, you give a person a space and they'll fill it. And Valerie oh, fills yeah. hers with scraps. Yeah. Right. So what does your what does your daily practice look like? What is your daily art practice? You just jump in the studio at the crack of dawn and start putting things together? Or... Um, no. <laughs> Do you think about stuff a lot and scratch your head? And I, um, I will get up not as early as I should probably. I, you know, I'm guilty some artists too. Yeah. <laughs> jump out That's of bed at like five thirty in the morning or like in the shop by six. And I'm like, right. Right. Hey, no, I can't do that. <laughs> my, my brain doesn't really start to function until about 10 o'clock. Um, although uh, I, you know, I, I try better. and I try yeah. and get to, I'll try and get downstairs before then. But sometimes I just look on Instagram <laughs> for a while <laughs> and see get what off your phone. everybody else has been doing. I love Instagram. Um, and so I, I probably spend more time than I should. Well, you take there. a lot of good pictures to put that that are on there it's, oh yeah thank you. No, it, well it's great to see people with with an instagram that's their work and not like what they're eating and what their cat looks like and all that stuff and, yeah it's it's like uh, actually i love your instagram page uh instagram's like the only social uh, social media i'll partake in because i i don't really want to i don't want to hear people's politics necessarily i don't want to and i certainly don't want to see what they ate for breakfast yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only follow other artists and artists who don't show their work um, and basically who 
blather on about other stuff, I just unfollow them. You yeah. haven't unfollowed me yet because of that? Eh, you're kind of a friend. I, I, the, oh, the, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that, there's the there's that whole social media issue of what happens when you unfollow friends so <laughs> one one of the great things about instagram is it exposes you to maybe i shouldn't say exposes but it allows you to connect with people all over the world you know it all opens over the up country. the broader world yeah it opens up everything and you know um back at haywood you know, we were taught about, you know, Gary Knox Bennett and mm-hmm. Fort Neshrick and um, Craig Nutt, who I, I love Craig Nutt, who doesn't oh, love man. Craig Nutt. I just want um, to live in the Atlanta airport I, under I that big carrot. <laughs> um, but to, I guess to touch on a hot, hot uh, topic right at the moment, there weren't a lot of women woodworkers, women, you know, artists that... Uh, we saw presented in these classes. Um, I really liked, I found a artist, I, Susan uh, Kinley McKee, I think is her name. Oh, Susan Kinsey McKee. Yeah. There yeah. you go. Oh, yeah. Her work's amazing. I love her work. And so that, that was kind of like what I held on to. And um, now that I have Instagram, I was kind of like late to the Instagram game. Like I'm not all that technologically hip. Uh but, uh, you mentioned the whole ninety-five-year-old grandmother thing. Yeah, I'm secretly ninety-five. I and you do yeah. you do have like, you do have an AOL email address. I do. Yeah, that I told that to Eric, and he's like, "Oh, I get it." Yeah, I still have an AOL email address. Um, like I said, I had not pulled out these earbuds in the four years I've had my iPhone. Um, my nephew and niece have to teach me how to do everything online so it is a slight miracle that i can work instagram but um i i found so many great artists like katie hudnall and kimberly oh, winkle work. and laura mays and um, barry newstat and, uh, yeah i mean there's so many great uh her sketchbooks alone are oh i know like, oh <laughs> katie's and actually i should i mean i don't know whether she's on instagram but um, Kristen Madsen, if you're familiar with her. Yeah, I mean, she was uh, this year's Furniture Society Award of Distinction honoree, which uh, she does I have, something. I have an old woodwork magazine from like 12 years ago that she was the cover art or cover feature for. Yeah. I took it back out when you mentioned her name last week. And Actually, I'll, I'll have oh, to look. I'll have to look and see if she's, well, we'll have to all see if she's on Instagram. So, one time when you mentioned Judy Kenzie McKee, I, I met and Gary Knox Bennett and assisted a class with him in the summer of 2011. And he told me a cool story about about Judy that, you know how some of her benches have been made into like into bronzes? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen those. He yeah. he inf- inspired her to do that. He was like, you've got to do this. You've got to turn this into something more. And kind of hearing that, hearing him talk about her and, you know, that he pushed her to do that, to turn it into more than just a wooden bench and a carved bench, but turn it into a bronze. I just, yeah. that, yeah, that made me smile. It was, it was pretty cool. Gary's, yeah, Gary's cool. an interesting guy. I had a chance to hang out with him and, um, while he taught a class at Anderson Ranch, it was that summer. And, uh, yeah, he's a trip. 
he's very, very, very tall. I mean, I'm six feet tall, but he's like six feet seven. He makes oh, wow. me look, I'm like, hey, Gary, how you doing? <laughs> so yeah. who, el- who else do you follow on Instagram? Oh, so many people. Um, let's see. Maybe I we'll just go through me. your friends. Yeah. <laughs> go through my friends. Well, your followers are. Uh, I don't have that many followers. I mean, I'm definitely not like a Kardashian. I mean, they're still a thing, right? Kardashian. Actually, you'd be talking to the wrong people about that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Although, no, yeah. Rob, you do follow the Kardashians, don't you? I mean, not really. I remember they had a TV show about New Jersey or whatever for a while, and then I was like, I remember when she was in the news, like with Trump for a little bit, and I was like, what? I, I thought That's she, I thought she quit combination. stuff, and I don't know. I don't really follow them. Um, Eric, if you haven't follow. Katie Hudnall. Oh, I do. I do oh, follow Katie. Yes. Uh, I love Katie, when she does the videos of her, you know, of her of like little, winding some of her, her little crank opening boxes. The yeah. And, yeah. Those are Katie Hudnall and uh, Sylvie Rosenthal. Yeah. Um, that fun. whole, that whole generation of just young women that is yeah. just tearing it up. Um, Ellie, um, Ellie Richards. Right. Uh, Ellie Richard. Oh, I'm not um, familiar with her work. That'll be fun. Check out. Um, um and then another favorite of mine, talking about wonderful women artists, is Robin Horn. If you're familiar with her, sculptor. Yeah, she oh, she's mean with the chainsaw. She's mean with the chainsaw. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did email her and ask her to be a part of this podcast. Haven't heard back. So if you're out there, Robin Horn, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, there's. I mean, also Christina Boy and. Um, oh yeah, she makes some cool chairs. Uh, let's see. So. Uh, Sophie Glenn, um, she does her furniture is uh, all out of steel, but it looks oh, that's cool. like wood. It's it's totally amazing. Um, then of course there's Susan Link, there's Melissa yeah. Engler and Graham Priddle. Um, let's see, it's, you know it's not just uh, woodwork, you know, woodworkers that you can get inspiration from. Like I follow so many <laughs> other people. Like oh, I'm inspired um, by potters lots of potters oh i have i follow so many so many um pottery accounts like maybe i'm you know i took two uh pottery classes and i really i've yeah i discovered fairly quickly that i am not a potter like i have no talent for it there's a big difference between being a wheel potter and hand building so i don't know which which one you tried both okay (laughs) I'm no well, good. But, so um, this is this is a little bizarre, but um, in these times when you don't feel like being in your studio and you're looking for online content, um, I found this really curious show called The Great Pottery Throwdown, and it's a <laughs> it's a pottery competition show based on the Great British Baking Show. If you're familiar with that at all, yeah. which is sort of this whole notion of an English competition show, but it's entirely friendly. It's not, it's a, it's, it's reality. All, it's all pottery. It's all pottery. They start, they start out with 12 potters and they have a whole series of tasks to do. And every week they eliminate a potter who doesn't sufficiently complete the tasks. And, but it's, it's all in good fun and it is just total escapism. And there's actually an art, there's actually a glass version of it too. I think it's called the, oh God, the great glass 
Great. blow up or something like that. that and it's, awesome. it's all, it's all the pottery thing is on YouTube. The glass thing is on Netflix and it's just, it's, it's reality art escapism for those hours. You don't too many to... hours spent on the internet, Eric. Yes. Well, they sound like halfway good hours. The furniture maker I was thinking of is Annie Evelyn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her work, Annie Evelyn Furniture on Instagram. Her stuff is exquisite. I was part of a show called Furnished at Sika earlier this year, or last year, actually. And she was a big part of it. Um, and um, Kimberly Winkle had a whole bunch of pieces in it, too. Oh, Kimberly I, Winkle, another I, great artist. I love her. Yeah. her work is yeah. just... Yeah, it's fun. Her finishing on it, like she uses like graphite pencils to do all these like lines and dots connected on top of, and she it's, uses it's really amazing stuff. Great shades of green. Yeah, best shades yeah. of green I've ever seen in in painted furniture work. It's really beautiful. I think that's all. I think that's all milk paint. You're not from the milk paint school, are you, Valerie? I am not from the milk paint school. Um, if I could get all the colors from milk paint that I can get from acrylic, then I might yeah. it's be a just convert, but um, way, way more muted. Your stuff is so bright. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't be able to get it from there. Yeah. So Carrie, my wife went to foundation woodworks and saw a big piece of mm -hmm. yours, that big round one on the wall with uh, drawers and stuff in it. Yeah. And just, she's like, I want that. She fell in love. She came back from, At she spent two weeks in Asheville working up there and came back and said, I saw a piece that I, I think Valerie made. I want it. So <laughs> it may not be there. I don't know. It's still there, but Carrie is in love with it. Absolutely. Um, I, that, I think that was the biggest piece I had made um, to, the, to that date. It was a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was like, it was so much fun, but it was, <laughs> it drove me nuts. <laughs> it has like 13 hidden cubbies in it. And oh, um, wow. I, I think there's like 300 and something total pieces, uh, you know. Is, are there pictures of it surface. anywhere? Uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely pictures on Instagram. There might oh, be. I'll have I don't to know if I put it. any on my website. I'm a little slack. No, I don't think that piece putting is images on, your on website. my website. <laughs> I'll check Instagram and look. That's it. Sounded awesome. <laughs> Carrie was explaining it, and I was just like, "Oh, yeah." It, it's called down the rabbit hole. <laughs> down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, because how much time did you spend on it? <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, so many. Now there, there, there's something really interesting about the whole assemblage thing that I really respect, but I just could never do because I just can't work that. I can't, the notion of 300 pieces in one piece, I'm like, two is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like a model kit almost. I mean, I built I built models of airplanes and cars and stuff when I was a kid. And that's that's what, that's almost what, what furniture feels like to me, like putting together a model. And I mean, yours is even more so with all the little teeny pieces and parts. Well, that's why it's all on like these really simple, you know, Sub substructures that I, yeah. you know, just use my pin nailer to put together. Right. Oh, you have like a um, twenty-three gauge pin nailer that you just. Yeah, my my Grex twenty-three gauge pin nailer. Oh, that's cool. That I've got is, a little Porter um, cable one that was given to me. Actually, it was given to me broken. The guy's like, I don't know how to use this. It's I think it's broken. 
I unjammed it and now I've got a great pen nailer. It's yeah, it's it's they're one of my favorite tools in the shop for sure. Um, but yeah, so so I'll I'll be on Instagram for a little bit to you know get my eyes function, functioning properly, and then again um, is the day whatever that may be if it's you know cutting out pieces for something or or um, painting a, layers on jewelry or or whatever it is. I don't really have a you know a set schedule. It's just work till I get hungry for lunch, and then <laughs> work again till I get hungry for dinner, and then you know usually work again till it's time to crawl into bed. And do you do this? Do you do it full time, or do you have a, 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 a quote unquote real job woven in there somehow or another? And I I like to say I do it full time, and I also have a part time job <laughs> because that's what it feels like. I, I, you know, I, I work a couple of days a week in an office doing clerical work. I'm dust free for about 12 hours every week, <laughs> but, the, but the rest of the time I'm in the shop. It sounds like you have a really good time being in there right. or it looks like it too. I mean, from the work that you make. I do. I, you know, if it wasn't fun, it's too hard to well, put up like why would I want to do it yeah, if it wasn't fun? That's what I always fun. say. If it's not fun, what's the point? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I sort of, I want to approach a couple issues here. I mean, one, I'd certainly like you to talk about where you're, where you seek inspiration. And, and I know your spiritual life is an important part of your life. And if you'd like to talk about that, I'd certainly be happy for you to say whatever you want to say. And the other thing is, it's kind of hard. This is, this is March 23rd, the big 2020. Shadow hanging around us right now. And most of us are stuck in our most of us are stuck in our houses, and if you're not stuck in your house, you should be. The, the whole coronavirus thing has affected a lot of us. I mean, I must admit, I find it really hard creating now. Between my anxiety and my terror, <laughs> uh, well, I'm a little older than you guys. I've got autoimmune, well, I've got autoimmune issues. It's, you know, I find my main solace these days in playing music. I've been playing music. I've been... I've been playing the mandolin for two to three to four hours every day because I can't seem to go in the studio and make anything. You've but, been walking uh, five miles a day too. And walking five miles a day. So, um, so how is, how is that? Yeah. So yeah, talk presenting about presenting itself in your world. Yeah. And, and talk about inspiration and spirituality and, and everything start. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's a lot. <laughs> no. I, it's, it's a, it's a strange time. It's, it's kind of surreal what's going on. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I haven't been able to, you know, I come from a very tight knit family. I haven't been able to see my grandparents in a couple of weeks because I'm so terrified of taking some germ over there. Right. And oh, um, getting them sick. Like I, you know, I feel like, yeah. So everything is shut down. Um, you know, all the galleries are closed. Yeah. Uh, all shows have been canceled. All classes had, have been canceled. I've had three shows canceled. You know, yeah. It's, it's, we're um, all feeling that part of it. It's it's a really uncertain time financially. And artists are already, like, it's already always uncertain times, I feel like, <laughs> being an artist. Yeah. It always waxes and wanes in yeah. a normal time. <laughs> yeah. Feast or famine, I guess you'd say. You know, I, I do have a strong faith. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, I've not starved to death yet. I think that, 
uh, I have faith that God will take care of me. Like I'm not going to get thrown out on the street. Um, I'll have, you know, my mom and I share a household. So there is some security there. It's not like I'm, you know, I am single, but it's not like I'm totally on my own. I, I think it is important to, to hold, hold tight to that faith. I don't think there's anything else I can do at this point. You know, I, I get in the studio and I make, um, but I'm, you know, I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to sell that work or if I'm going to be able to sell that work, but you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's kind of all I can do at the moment. Does, does getting into the studio help take your mind off of that a little bit? Or do you find yourself just like overwhelmed by it? Like kind of like how Eric's talking about how it's overwhelming him. I, I think it does help some. Um, it's, um, it has been a little hard to work because it's, and I try and not watch the news, but I know <laughs> I'm on my phone checking all that all the time too. But... It's like, uh, it's just, it's constant. Like you, you really can't escape it, even though we're all, all stuck, uh, isolated. Like it's still, it's still really, really present everywhere you look. I, I was, I've said that self-isolation is the same thing as self-employment. It's just a different, you know, so we do it anyways. Yeah, this is true. To some extent. But now we've got really morbid news that we read all the time. Well, I mean, part of the interesting thing is, is that, I mean, in many ways, self-isolation isn't all that different from the regular day-to-day life of an artist. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, we spend enormous amounts of time in our studios by ourselves. But, you know, the intriguing part for me is on a daily basis before this, I did a fairly good job of keeping the outside world outside because mm-hmm. the main thing that was important to me is what's going on in my head. What the, and I'm, I'm losing that battle yeah. now. Your head's and, like this swirling mass of like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Too it's much just, anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a way to, um, I'm trying to find a way to rationalize it for myself, sort of thinking like I'm on a, I'm on a spaceship, my own little private spaceship headed to Mars. It's going to take about three months to get there. <laughs> I have what I have in my spaceship. and Well, maybe and... you should start reading about color theory and maybe that'll calm you down. <laughs> well, actually, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm reading about music theory. It oh, seems that's... to be. I mean, okay. that's, that seems to be what's, what's working for me. I played my guitar for like five hours yesterday for the first time in forever. And I'm like, it's just great. I haven't done this in a while. It feels good. Yeah, And it's just a curious process for me because I consider myself a mediocre musician at at best, whereas really my talent lies as a visual artist, but I just can't do it. I mean, uh, and then again, you know, let's frame it. I mean, this is week one. I mean, I think things are going to change every week for good, bad, or whatever. I mean, is, is this whole process going to become easier? What are we going to learn when we finally emerge from our houses in, what, May? <laughs> June? Who knows? Yeah, that, I think that's kind of what's on all our, all our lips. That's, it's like, it, it, who, who knows? I mean, nobody can really predict it, and everybody's predicting something different. Maybe the hope is that when we all emerge, we're you know, a kinder, nicer society and we appreciate more what we have instead of i'm i'm hoping for something like that too that we all realize that we're we're the same this enemy isn't another person we're concerned about it's 
that's that's the same it does the same thing to all of us regardless of who we are right and yeah no and and, and again as, as you know i've said numerous times during in in thinking about this podcast but um community is what it's all about for me in the end and creating community through this podcast and creating community through you know the various things i do in my life so i'm hoping our sense of community strengthens out of all of this and that we can we can deal with each other's foibles in a much more accepting manner. <laughs> Should we wrap it up here? Do you, or is there anything else you'd like to say, Valerie? Have I answered all your burning questions? Like, are there any more? How about this? How's, um, okay, we get through this on the other side. We're all continuing to make, you know, societies back to however it's going to be. Is this something that you, being a woodworker and working with color and doing this, is this you in, until you're not on earth anymore? Is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? Is this what makes you happy and makes you smile every day? And, you know, I don't, you're, you're, you're still pretty young and we've got, all of us have, you know, a decent amount more to live on this earth. Is this, is this what you're, uh, what you're enjoying doing and what you plan to do for a while? Yeah. I, I can't think of anything else I want to do. I mean, yeah. I've known that since I was very young and um, it is what we, what makes me happy and at the end of the day happiness cannot be overrated so absolutely absolutely yeah well yeah i think that's a great note to end on is that happiness is what we need to bring way way higher in the in this time you know because it's it's what we've got i mean we are self-isolated and you know really working our best to deal with all this but if we're not happy you know yeah it's I don't think it's worth it. Let's be happy. No. Let's make stuff and be happy. Yes. yes. Well, Valerie, I'd like to thank you a lot for, for joining us and, and participating. And uh, hopefully hopefully you enjoyed your experience. <laughs> I, I did. It's been fun. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, it's been really wonderful talking with you. And uh, this is uh, Valerie on Why Make. Yeah. And I hope everybody's uh, healthy, happy, and safe and at home and uh, why make why make you can listen to why make on stitcher apple Podcasts, and spotify you can also grab our rss feed or direct download from our website why-make.com this episode is currently brought to you by the holy pockets of rob and eric please help us build our creative funding base at patreon patreon.com forward slash why make podcast you can also find us on instagram and twitter at at Why Make Pod. This episode is recorded on Squadcast and edited by us on Audacity. Thanks for listening. <laughs>